sometimes when I speak of this nowadays, it's like I use the image of the Energizer bunny, the ones of the battery commercial, the pink bunny with the little drum that keeps going and going and going and going, outlasting everybody else. That was me. And I was so proud of it. Expanding possibilities, the mindset zone. I'm your host, Anna Malikian. And before we start, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone to access all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get the free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone slash book. This episode is an interview originally recorded for the podcast Death of Workaholic, where the amazing Jenny Lynn interviews me about how I learned to stop working hard and start working smarter. Here is our conversation. Anna Malikian, I am so happy to have you on the Death of a Workaholic podcast. My pleasure to be here. I loved getting to know you and your story over the last several months, but you shared something intriguing with me recently, and that was your relationship with work started very young at nine or 10 years old, but your dad would have disagreed with that. Tell me more about that opening. I always kid that my dad will disagree because as a kid, I always loved to sleep into the morning. And that for my dad, he never understood that. For me and my brother, I would like to sleep until 10 and 11 o'clock in the morning. And he always called us lazy because of that. But that doesn't mean that you cannot be an narco that likes to sleep late. <laughs> very, very true. So you worked really hard at nine or 10. Uh, what did work look like for you then? Yeah, the thing was, I had dyslexia at the start. When I was in lower school, the spelling was an issue. I was very lucky at the time that my teacher saw that I was capable in other things, in math, in other stuff. And that was a very specific issue with the spelling. So she didn't hold me back and at the time, I, I didn't knew what I know today about dyslexia in itself. That is really a different way that our brain is wired. At the time, what made me do was working harder to achieve the same things that the, my other colleagues, my other classmates. And that was tough at the time, but develop a work ethic that I became very proud of. So there was a reason, a force behind you. That meant you had to work harder, but it also was a badge of honor. Yes, absolutely. So your relationship evolved with work throughout the years. And as a child, it showed up like that. How did it show up when you moved into your career? It started because my first career was as a student and I became quite good on it. And then even in terms of earning money was still as a student because I got scholarships. So I got a scholarship to get my PhD and my master's degree. I'm originally from Portugal. And then I went to do part of my studies in England and in Spain. And I had to 
write in another language that was not my mother tongue. So more artwork. But like I said, I always thought that if it was something that depended of my persistence and my artwork, I could do it. Yep. Just work harder. <laughs> Pull yourself up. Yes. Keep going. One foot in front of the yep. other. Right? <laughs> I, I like to, sometimes when I speak of this nowadays, it's like I use the image of the Energizer bunny, the ones of the battery commercial, the pink bunny with the little drum that keeps going and going and going and going, outlasting everybody else. That was me. And I was so proud of it. Yes, yes. And that changed at some point. And it sounds like you had a situation you encountered in life. Yes, because now when I look back, I remember that in my life, I always had people that had a different relationship with work that I had. And sometimes I was looking at them, how oh, could work more, we could do more. And now I look back, I should have learned more from them. But life is a journey. And for me, the wake up call was the big wake up call was in because I think there were warning signs and red flags. But the one that made me change my way was in 2016 when I was diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer. How difficult was that journey? Yeah, because when this is a rare form of cancer, it's only 1% to 5% of all breast cancers and it's quite aggressive. The strange thing with cancer is that we can be healthy in any other way and then suddenly we have cancer. Uh, I still remember one of the doctors that I had in my team that I was speaking, can I do this? Can I do that? And they turned to me, you are very healthy. You can keep active. And I was thinking to myself, how can you say that I'm very healthy? And I just you just diagnosed me with cancer. But it's the, the contradiction that cancer is in so m- many aspects. But part of the thing is that when you realize the seriousness of the situation and the, becomes your priority. The, there is no doubt that that becomes your priority. And the, the number of medical appointments that we have to go through, the exams that we have to do to decide what is the best treatment. And it made me rethink everything. How do you say when you, it's a situation that you don't know exactly what things are going to lead And that is why I call it a wake-up call. Make you rethink everything with your work and with your life and with your goals. And I kept working during my cancer treatments. I kept working because that was one of the parts in my life that I could keep some normality going. And I felt a human still, but I had to learn to work smarter and not harder. That was the wake-up call at that level. I could not push because I was pushing myself to go through the treatments enough. And with the little energy that I had left, how could I use it in a way that produced the results that I was wanting to keep going? Yeah. So I'd like to like dig into one of these moments, one of these moments where you're looking at your work and you're looking at your treatments And there's this moment where you're like, what am I going to do? I had to do choices and prioritize. Until then, I was not very good in prioritizing. Mm -hmm. And I was just putting more in my pile, just adding to, okay, I can do this later. I can work more hours. I can sleep less. And just kept going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. 
But with the cancer, that option was not there because the energy is not there. And like I was saying in the beginning, the quantity of in the beginning of exams and things that you have to do, you really have to clear your calendar. And that was the first I have to decide what I could keep going, what I had to let go. And I in projects that I was involved, I had to say, no, I cannot be more involved and some opportunities that I had at the time, I say, no, now I don't, I cannot do that. That was something that I was not used to do. I was used to take advantage of any opportunity that show up. And, but what I realized is that if I kept focus on the things that I chose, I could still make an impact. So I want to dig into no, because we don't really like the word no as a sign. What did you do to be able to understand what you say no to? And how did you make peace with saying no? At the time was, how do you say, I said no to the things that I felt that I could not give my whole. When I get in a project, I like to go full in. Mm-hmm. So there was a new opportunity that happened at the time of an association that I belonged to, to lead the association for the next year that I felt that I will not have the energy to do that. So I spoke with them and they absolutely understood. So that was a easy decision to make. Another group that I was part of the teaching coaching team, I knew that was difficult to keep the calls that I was supposed to be doing. And I spoke with the person having that and you are super, super, how do you say, you really was amazing in supporting me. And he said, don't worry about that. We'll cover you. And I kept part working with them just in the minimum because they were so supportive and they really took a lot out of my plate. And and then I focus on one of the projects that I had that I could be more behind the scene, not to be so friend on camera. And I still could contribute in a way that was valid, but more at my own timing. So you're talking about a lot of human compassion here. Oh, yes. That people leaned in and found ways to move forward with you. How did that feel? Felt good. Felt good. How do you say? I had built before that moment. I had built a lot. I had deposited a lot in being a great teammate and a great supporter of the organizations that I was involved and working to the partnerships that I had. So in the beginning, I felt, okay, they have my back. I had their back for so long. They had my back now. That felt really good to have the support. They really step into the occasion. And that was a rewarding thing to see that people were there for me. That's awesome. Because sometimes speaking, you know, personally, that can be hard to recognize that all that deposits you've made over those years of working hard, actually, you can ask for something in return for that. Yeah. And I'm not a very good, how do you say, I prefer to be in the giving end than in the receiving end. I suffer from that too. But they, they made it for me to be in the receiving end. And I really appreciate that, how they dealt with it. That's amazing. And is there anything that was hard to say no to? Hmm. At the time, the thing about the diagnosis or situation when it's a situation like cancer or other situations that people go through that are of the same type and sometimes can be even a divorce or something with our kids, 
suddenly priorities become very clear. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, what we say yes to a no to is easier because we have clarity about priorities. And for me, the priority was to do whatever was in my power to get better, to go through the treatments and keep living my life as normal as possible in the meanwhile. Well, I'm so glad you're with us here today. Yes, me too. Arrived in the face <laughs> of all that. So how did that clarity around priorities follow you through after you got to the other side of this? Yeah. And we have to remember as human beings, it's very easy to go back to old patterns. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, when you are doing the treatments, you have limited in time, you have to schedule the things. And I learn how to schedule the treatments. So I start to learn how to plan my schedule around the treatments and it works. I managed to navigate that time when I recover my energy and go back to what was before the treatments, I start to see myself slipping in the old habits. For one side, yes, I was wanting to just almost delete that time in my life and go back to what was before. But it was also what can you learn from this experience to build a better future? And I already were familiar with productivity, with high performance, but I start to look at it and doing it with a different angle. And what I realized that was possible to achieve the same results in a more clever way. So it's not that we don't work hard and I work hard nowadays still, but I try to be much more strategical. And what are examples of some of those clever ways? It's very easy for somebody that likes to work that we do or somebody that takes loads of self-esteem and value from working and being busy to get busy with the wrong things mm. or just busy by the sake of being busy and not producing or not investing the time or keep putting for later the projects that are going really to change the things in the long term. I think this was Steve Covey, The Seven Habits, that in his book popularized the concept. He didn't invent it, I think, but he popularized the four quadrants yeah, of productivity. Eisenhower. Eisenhower, exactly. Mm -hmm. That you have the, the first quadrant that are important and urgent, the second quadrant that is important but not urgent, and then... Uh, hmm, I forgot the order of the ones below <laughs> that one is not in, they are not urgent and not important and not urgent, but not important. Mm -hmm. I absolutely spend a lot of time in these lower quadrants doing just busy, what we can call busy work and work that I absolutely could delete or delegate and realizing that when I had to be smarter in the use of my time really helped me to let go of that much easier. And it's still, I still can fall into it, but it's much easier when I'm aware of it to let it go and do something about it. And I spend now much more time in the top quadrants of what is important. That's amazing. And so kind of going back to that moment where what you needed to say no to came into clear focus, how did what you needed to say yes to come into clear focus? And again, I think it's not the moment, it's a process. Mm. But it's still, how do you say, I really 
integrate systems and planning, having Nowadays, I like to speak about the importance of pause. There is a quote that I absolutely love that is between stimulus and response. There is a space in that space is the power of choosing our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So between a stimulus and response, there is that space. But for in order for us to see that space, we have to learn how to press the pause button. Because it's the, by pressing the pause button that we see the space that allows us to choose our response and allow us to grow and to have some freedom. So one of the big shifts that happened for me at many levels was to learn to press the pause button. And nowadays, I really see that we have three types of pauses. The macro pauses is like... Uh, the cancer was a macro pause that made me reevaluate everything, but can be a macro pause, can be reading a book, going to a retreat, working with a coach. We stop a, a considerable amount of time to reflect about where we are and what we want to learn. Then we have the schedule pauses. That is like planning the day, mm -hmm. uh, starting every day, planning the day or even in the day before or a journaling or a gratitude thing. And I start to develop those schedule pauses, train myself to respect those schedule pauses. And now I see that by doing macro pauses and schedule pauses, we get mentally fit to press the pause button when we have the micro pauses, the mini, mini ones, that is when we have the trigger that we have the tendency to go to a certain response. Now I'm able to press the pause button most of the time and decide, no, I'm not going to hold habits anymore. I want to do something different. I love this, Anna. And I love it because I was actually laughing with someone today about what our parents told us when we were younger that we didn't want to hear. And yes. one of the things my mom always told me is take a deep breath, Jenny. And ironically, I have found out this year, it is the single best way to integrate the micro pause. Yes. And I will teach you a trick there. Ooh, I'm excited. Because the advice that there is a lot of, take a deep breath. But what usually happens when you say take a deep breath, people, it's like inhale deep. If we are under stress, if we are under pressure, we are breathing at the top of our lungs. We have a lot of residual air in our lungs. It's imagine a cup full of water and it's almost full. So if you say to somebody, breathe deeply, we physically can't. There is no space. What is more efficient and smarter to do is empty the cup first, empty our lungs first by exhaling fully until we engage the muscles in our belly. And then we can breathe deeply, easier. It's a small shift that can be very powerful results. I love that. And for everyone listening, I hope you stopped and paused and emptied your lungs. <laughs> yes. It's just it's like, imagine that you are a little kid, like blowing out all the candles in the birthday cake, even the ones that are the tricky variety, the ones that reignite. You just want to blow all that air out. And then automatically is easier to breathe in. That's amazing. And when we do that, we feel that deep sense of grounding, that grounding that stops that 
response. Yeah, we are going from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic mode that is more relaxing. So it's a very, breath work is powerful. If we learn, we can check if we are nervous with our breath. It's just by counting. If we are breathing rhythm two to in to out, we are in a stress mode. Mm-hmm. We have to go to at least four in, four out to be in a more relaxed flow state. Uh. I'm just enjoying this. It just feels good, Anna. Sometimes it's good to just feel good. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. But these small things, I think, and one of the things that I love about your work is that you are bringing awareness to this of workaholism that our tendency about working and working and working, how we can um, leverage it in so many ways. Yes. Yeah. And so if we kind of go back, I'd love to know, how did you stop believing that working really, really hard was the only way to deserve success? was realizing that I was achieving things. And like I always say, I was successful in for many ways of measuring success, PhD in psychology, running a nice online business, a wonderful house with amazing views, nice husband, wonderful daughter. But I was working late into the evening, sleeping less than five hours at night, trying to do it all, not stopping for a moment. And I realized that if I learn to tap into the human potential in the high performance, working smarter, not harder, work in a way that was more strategical, I still could achieve my goals, but not being in that waking up tired every day and mm-hmm. and I could enjoy life more and I could have more time and energy to enjoy my family, to travel, to exercise. And even now I managed to read one book per week because I develop habits that are in the service of a life that I want to live. That's amazing. So if we stop right now, And you were to say, what is your definition of success right now? What would your answer be? Live the life fully. And for me, it's by learning, creating a positive impact and enjoying the journey. Thank you so very much, Anna. Anna does amazing work. She's the host of the Mindset Zone podcast. She is a speaker And she combines extensive research, life experiences, and two decades of work in human potential to help others cultivate mental wellness while increasing their effectiveness and strengthening their relationships. I am so honored to have you here, Anna. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this conversation originally recorded in Jenny Lynn's podcast, Dead of a Workaholic. Please follow her podcast wherever you listen to this podcast. Expanding possibilities, the mindset zone. Thank you for listening. And remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get a free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to 
mindset.zone forward slash book. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world. <laughs>